Our second reading is from the Gospel Luke, the fourth chapter, and is found in your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. It's quite a long reading, and you'll notice that part of it was read. The first half of it is actually also was in last week's bulletin. And I just wanted to give you some heads up about that beforehand. Um, there's a shift in the text. So last week, um, when we just take the first part, the people are, are receiving the words as welcome. Um, it's very soft, and the people are speaking words of graciousness in response to them. And then a shift happens, and um, the people are enraged. They become hurt. So I want you to listen for that shift and see where you are in the story. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he, he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Holy One has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Here ends our reading. I didn't know where I was in the text. So what I did was I wrestled with the text over and over again, trying to flatten it. It's usually what I do. I try to flatten the biblical narratives. What is the real message? What are they trying to get after? Really a scholarly like. And what I thought this whole text was about, and it might be about this, is trying to prove that Jesus really was a true prophet. 
the ancients were concerned about how to determine who was a real prophet from a false one. So they paid attention to signs. A prophet would have a call story, as Jeremiah did. When a prophet went to deliver God's word to a people, he might have reason to fear. He would be protected by God and would come through the other side. The words a prophet spoke would be a creative force. They wouldn't just be words, but would bring about action, whether that action was healing or destructive. People would begin to recognize a true prophet. Word would travel of all the works he had done. People would know the power of his God. He would elicit awe and fear. But even a real prophet would not be accepted by all. It was a sign he was a real prophet when he wasn't accepted in his hometown. And so we get our text today, and I say it's about he's a prophet, he's a prophet, he's a prophet. Except that the story lays out, and they're asking him about Capernaum before Capernaum happens. And they're accepting him in his hometown before he makes them mad. So what is happening in this text? The turn, the shift happens when he makes mention of the two Elijahs, the Elijah with the J and the Elijah with the SH, which I don't do well making a difference in my pronunciation. Um, and we'll get to that. But in all of my wrestling, what I ended up doing, I, I, wasn't, sad, I wasn't satisfied with the flatness, even though I was determined to make it flat. So I started going to places that um, fill me up. And lately, that has been an artist's blog out of the UK in um, Scotland called The Art Room Plant. I imagine it's where you go to be watered. And this artist, her name is Terry Hazel. She has created four blogs, and they're all connected through the art room plant. And each day, it's a daily, each of them are daily blogs. There's a daily blog of all artists who do anything in print, um, illustrations, photographs, paintings. There's one on textiles and fashion, which is really broadly understood. There's one on uh, furniture, again, very broadly understood. There's like sculptures in there that I wouldn't think of as furniture, but are in there. And there's just brief descriptions under each piece. So it's, they're mostly just visual pieces. Well, her fourth blog, which is only two years old compared to the others, which are much older, is called Little Red Riding Hood and Other Wolfish Things. <laughs> And I thought, well, that is really bizarre. Why choose this story to be specific about when you are so general about everything else? And I had my own little um, assumptions about Little Red Riding Hood. I thought that was a flat story. This is the way it goes. Everybody knows the story of Little Red Riding Hood. How could there be that much depth to this story? Well, it's very similar to her, her blog in there. It's very similar to the other ones and that every day a different artist or a different piece of art is focused on. And I was shocked uh, as I 
as I saw some of these images because they were not the way the story goes. There were images of Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf in a dream peace land where they've made friends. That's not the way it goes. There's Little Red Riding Hood who is playfully um, playing alongside the wolf. There's Little Red Riding Hood who has the puppet of the wolf on strings, and the, and the wolf has Little Red Riding Hood on the strings. And there's Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf that is really terrifying and disturbing with blood and fangs and, and it's nightmarish. And then there's more play with, with Little Red Riding Hood making pictures of grandma and the woodcarver and the wolf with hearts all around him and she's taping him up on the wall and the wolf like super irritated and making a picture of wanting to eat her. Totally different image. And each one that I enter, each artist's world that I enter, I have to let go of the last idea and go into the next. And so the story starts expanding. It's no longer flat. So I have this going on in my little watering pond, coming back to this other text, and start seeing that what if there were little snapshots layered on top of each other in this text? What if there was one scene of a bunch of priests turning their back to Jesus, and underneath their skirts were food and treasure, saying, oh, that's not the prophet. What if there was a scene of uh, the people out there feeling really hurt, feeling really betrayed, that they thought that this prophet was there to heal them, and it turns out he's saying something like, other people matter more than you. Uh, what if uh, there was a scene of the people chasing after Jesus, enraged? What if there was another scene of the people chasing after Jesus in love with him? What if, like, just, you could just keep going and going and going. What if there was a puppet scene where Jesus is on a puppet string and people are arguing, saying, the, and what the title of the puppet show is, this is what it is to be a prophet. It's, it just keeps going on and on and on. So I was following this. And I started noticing that I was in the scene. So I'm not going to tell you where I was yet, but again, remember, where were you and where are you in the scene? And does that make a difference with how you're responding or which world you have a tendency to live in and all of those pictures? So I go back to the watering hole, and there is a video of this artist, another person who's located in... Um, Scotland. Her name is Debbie Leori. I think I said her name right. And if you watch the video, you'll understand why it's important to get her name right. Um, so please go to this place and check it out. But um, there's this video of her telling her life story. She's an illustrator, so she's illustrating as she's telling her life story. And I, as I was watching her do this, she seems very clear about which 
pieces she's going to include. And I thought, man, how does she decide which of all of the things that have happened in a person's lifetime to include in telling, narrating the story of her life? And as she's telling it, it's also very interesting how she chooses to put meaning or not add extra meaning on the things that she tells. So, for example, she starts with, well, she starts with what she, under, what she imagines birth might have been like, but then she goes into being a little girl in, in her home, in her house, when her parents are together. And she draws her little girl self kneeling down on the floor, and behind her, as she starts talking about her parents always arguing, the voices are around, surrounding her like dragons. They're always around her. Well, this dragon imagery is something that stays with her in her story, but sort of morphs and changes over time. And um, she continues on and she says, at age 15, I decided to go on an adventure and leave my house in search of dragons of my own. And so I wore this uh, long skirt with little flowers on it and a headband and I was a real hippie going out in search of my own dragons at age 15. Then she says, then this really amazing, wonderful thing happened when I was 17. A little boy came into my life and it was this magical time and it was snowing and it was the first snow my little baby boy experienced. So I remember taking him to the window and showing him the snow and it was so wonderful. And I thought to myself, that is a very interesting way to narrate that story because another version would, would be, my life was so unbearable with my parents, I ran away from home. I was homeless, I had nothing. At, at 17 I got pregnant, had a baby in a snowstorm, and we had no money. That would be also another way to tell that story. But she told this version. So I'm having this going on, thinking about the version that Jesus is telling there. He's, he's giving them this image of these stories of the Elijahs. So just as a recap, a reminder of the Elijahs, at least the parts that he's telling you. I really wish I could tell you the whole thing because it's like the best adventure story ever in the Bible. <laughs> so the first one, the Elijah with a J. The Elijah with a J is a prophet. And um, the people have done something wrong. That's the way they understand this. So there's a famine in the land. So God tells Elijah, go to this brook. And there, drink from the brook while the, while the famine is going on. And there's not going to be any rain. And I'll send ravens to bring you meat to eat. So he goes to the brook. And he, he stays there and he's nourished by this living water of the brook and this meat that the, the ravens bring. Then eventually, because there's been no water for so long, he, the, brook, the brook dries up. And so God says, go to this widow, this widow that's inside him, which is the widow that's referenced here. And she's going to feed you. She's going to take care of you. So he goes to this widow and he says, please, will you give me something to drink? And please, would you give me just a little piece of bread? And she says, well, actually, I don't even think I have enough. I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I was just planning on making my son and I's last, our last meal before we die. And so he says to her, well, go ahead and make me a small cake, and 
the flour and the oil will not run out. And so this is what happens. And then the other, the Elijah with an SH. He comes after Elijah with a J. And again, there's a famine in the land. There's terrible stuff happening between Israel and Syria. There's been a lot of battling going back and forth, and I'm going to try not to go into all of it because I really want to. So I'm resisting. Um, but he ends up, the, the, the commander of the Syrian army has a captive from Israel, a little girl that's been captured to be the maidservant of his wife. The commander of the Syrian army has leprosy. The little girl says to the wife, I wish he would go to the prophet in my land because he could be healed. So the commander, Naaman, hears of this, goes to the king, gets permission, is sent to Israel. Eventually, without telling all the details, he's healed. And there's this whole... um, moment of recognition that God really is in the land of Israel and this really is a powerful prophet and the, and the living waters that are flowing through Israel are even more powerful than the waters that he knew in his homeland. So the people that were hearing these texts could have been hearing them as something that was showing the glory of their God, um, the heritage that they came out of as prophets or as priests or as people um, that they carry with them. And Jesus is twisting the little story and saying, oh, they didn't come to you all and you had plenty of widows and you had plenty of famine and you had plenty of leprosy. And so it turns into this like, what? What are we supposed to make of this? Well, I want to give you just one more detail as as I can just bring it all together about this Elijah text. Eventually, there's this this servant of Elijah with an SH who takes stuff from Naaman that he's not supposed to. So he's given leprosy. And where does he have to go but the edge of town? Because lepers are not allowed to be in town. They stay on the outside, the outskirts of the town. And eventually, these lepers are the ones that discover the food that the people need in order to um, not die from the famine. Important part of this story, in my opinion. So, as I've been playing, going back and forth with this, and as I've been um, playing with this whole snapshot thing of the Little Red Riding Hood log, and of trying on a different version of, of the story and seeing what's, what is the story that leads to life. I noticed, I realized, I finally realized where I had painted myself in the synagogue was in all the face of, faces of all the audience. And so when Jesus said, oh wait, you don't matter, at least this is maybe one version of that story, I heard, I don't matter, that my need to be freed from oppression or my need to have sight or my need just to be taken care of didn't matter. And so then knowing about this snapshot thing, I wondered, could I allow my face to fade and put in their place the priests? So the priests are now the people in the synagogue. And Jesus is saying this to the priests. 
And the priests become enraged, and I'm floating above just watching this scene happen. And the priests become enraged, and they chase Jesus out of the town to the edge of the town. And there, of course, Jesus is protected. Of course, he's again the prophet, the real prophet. But instead of meeting Jesus, who does he find at the edge of the town? But the lepers. And the lepers' faces, what if they were to change into the faces of Elijah and Elijah? And there he's given the the prophets back to them. And instead of their role being in in the synagogue, in the temple, there to be the keepers of who gets to be healed and who doesn't, they're taken out, they're shifted out into the, the boundary lands, and they find their deliverance. So what is the story that brings you life? Amen.